Hey everybody, welcome to Swedenborgian Life Live. We're excited to be here because today we get to talk to you about the symbolism of water and wine. Mm. That's a pretty common pairing, right? I mean, that's a very, very famous miracle that puts right. those two together. That's right, that's right. And it's a little bit, once you, you, oh, you maybe have a good association with it. Oh yeah, water into wine, that's Jesus, he's nice, he's good. It's a strange thing when you start to get into it. Why, why that miracle? Why the, the, sh the placement of wine in so many religious rituals? Right. Where's it all coming from? Why does it come up in stories and yeah. miracles and stuff? Yeah. Well, that's all the time we have. No, we're going to get into it right now. My name is Curtis Childs, and I'll be your host. And with me, we're just, we never stop to think how lucky we are to have Dr. <laughs> Jonathan, <laughs> scholar extraordinaire, so nice. series editor of the New Century Edition, here with us to talk it through. I know I really appreciate getting to hear from the wisdom you've accumulated over the years. Thanks to all of you for watching the show. You have made this whole thing possible. If you want to make it even more possible, like and subscribe. We are creeping up on 90,000 subscribers. Ooh. We would love to get there soon so that we can then get to a billion subscribers shortly after that. So thanks so much. Enter your elevator pitch ideas in the chat. Oh. This is a, there, near the end of the show, there's going to just be this absolutely unscripted. Like this is, this is not that scripted what we're doing right now, but this is going to be even less scripted where we answer what's on your mind. And what do you want us to talk about for 60 seconds? One of mm. these complex Swedenborgian spiritual concepts. How, could, how would we go about it if somebody in an elevator said, what is this and why does it matter? So get, get your elevator pitch topics in, and then we will uh, see what you had to say. This episode is also in response to you. These always are, because we want to know right. what's, what's the point of what we're doing. You know, it's, it's to give people information that they can use to improve life. Right. And how do we know what people's questions are we go if ask they them. don't ask them? Right, right. So we were in the middle. The, this whole thing came out of a show. We had a Giving Tuesday show where we were first telling people how they can support us financially because we're a not-for-profit and this is how this programming gets made. But during that, we were answering questions as well. We answered a lot. We couldn't get to all of them. Somebody in that episode asked the following. Biomed EE said, what is the difference between wine and water, both of which correspond to truth? Mm. Which that's a pretty advanced question from a Swedenborgian perspective because it means you already know that there's something called correspondences. Correspondence, that's right. What else have we got? You in already there? know wine corresponds to truth and water corresponds to truth, and so it's not asking what's the physical difference between wine and water. It's just yeah. like why would you have two things that both correspond to truth? And Isn't that kind of superfluous? And if you're if you're not familiar with correspondences, this is the divine language essentially. This is how everything you look at, mm. look, go look at the world right now, and all the events in it, and all the objects in it, all the phenomena in it, and it sort of seems like this is nothing. This is chaos. There's no way that this is related to some kind of sublime, uh, mm. again to use the word, divine reality where everything is good and organized. Correspondences is how you read that in the world around us. It helps us make sense of perplexing things in life, also perplexing things in the Bible. But it's only really satisfying when it really is plausible. And for it to be plausible, you've got it, something like this. Is he just throwing it around that both are truth? What does it mean? Let's see if we can dig into this and find something that really seems indicative mm. of an underlying undercurrent. I, I like the question. That's a good. Oh, it's, it's an good. interesting question. It's good. And you, at the end of the show, can rate our answer in the comments. So let's get right to it. First, we'll start with the icebreaker. So we want to answer a question with a question. And what I like about the icebreaker is that we start, we don't start in the Bible, and we don't start 
in Swedenborg, we just start in your life. Oh. What's going on for you? And we'll st- we're, we're laying our groundwork here. That's good. To begin. And as we answer this question here, all of you in the chat need to answer this question as well, because at the end of the show, we are going to put your answers on screen, because we want to know what everyone else is thinking about this and get that input from all the different points of love and wisdom that every single person is. So here's the question for all of us as follows. What has helped to make your faith deeper and more real? Hmm. And I'd love to hear from you, what, what, do you, what is faith? Because people could have different definitions, right? Yeah, and the first thing that strikes me in the question is I think some people think of faith as just like a lump you have it or you don't or, or something like that or you can make a decision about it. But I think it is biblical to suggest that you can have a lot more faith. You know, Jesus says uh, you have little faith and, yeah. like, and faith can grow like a mustard seed and that kind of thing. So I, I like the question. And um, Swedenborg, in a way, d- defines faith. He defines it a lot of different ways, but the yeah. kind of confidence you get in the truth as you live a good life kind yeah. of thing. And um, so for me, I would say there's kind of a, a trial and error. I don't know what the error part is, but in other words, as I try certain things, I, let's say I say certain prayers or I try practicing certain things even if they're difficult for me and then you see how they work out it takes time but over time you realize oh wait that's yeah life is better than I thought like I think this is real I think there is a loving presence that's taking care of me and I see it I glimpse it here I glimpse it there yeah and those kind of things um, just watching over a long period and seeing that things even in a lot of ways, for me, the, the worst kind of crises I've been through, physical problems or uh, disasters in my life or whatever, uh, kind of make the case. In a certain way, they're the most precious. Because when it's smooth sailing, okay, fine. Yes. But it's like when it's really difficult, and then I come out of that, and, and I realize it made me more, compassion, more compa- compassionate. It uh, helped me. In some ways, there was a sense of the closeness of God and so on. So that stuff makes my faith deeper. No question for, for myself, when I'm going through disturbance, when I am in some kind of distress, usually sort of internal distress about fears are acting up or whatever they might be at that wonderful moment, and that's, that's when I really need God, when I'm... Uh, I need help. Like I'm, a, I'm afraid, and I need these God and the principles that I'm getting in Swedenborg's material about what God is and how God works and how to access that. That like I depend on those things in that moment. Mm. That's when it becomes real. When when things are going pretty well, I can hold it at arm's length and say, "Oh, that seems okay. That's kind of plausible. It's not as flashy as some other things in life." But when you really need it, and you and you get in that moment of like, "Oh, there's something." It's never, it's never that overt for me, like I get a grand right. vision, right. but you definitely hit this point where you're like, this, this is here and this is saving. Like th- These ideas are saving, which is really exciting. And it seems to me as well, to make it deeper and more real, it's like the process I was just talking about with correspondences where mm. you start to see the concepts that are being described to you. Like Swedenborg is going out and dictating stuff that I can't really measure for myself. And maybe, right. maybe, but once it st- I start to see like, oh, this is elegant, that this really clicks, then it seems real to me. I just, we were just filming News from Heaven 
the other week, which is not going to come out for, for, a, for a little bit, but I remember coming to this point where I was, it was about, this is way too long of an answer, this is great, um, it was about <laughs> the phenomena where uh, good, goodness and love are only, the only thing that come out of God, but when it gets all the way down into the hell states of mind, by then it seems like it's angry and attacking, mm. and I was really realizing, look, if, if what a hell is, is you're centered around love of, let's say, exploiting people in a certain way, and what God is, is the message that everybody is of value and shouldn't be exploited. Mm. How are you going to react to that love right. when it hits you? Because it's against the central love of your life, and it just really was hitting me like, that's self-evident. That's self-evident. When I get right. to there, that's when it feels like, oh, this is, this is, this is, I have an affection for truth, which is another way Swedenborg describes faith. Oh, that, I, I love your answer because it makes me think of the fact that Swedenborg says in True Christianity that truths are kind of bundled together and they cohere. And so I'm thinking about yeah. another thing that makes my faith deeper is uh, when you see how this concept connects with this concept, connects with this experience I have, connects yeah. with this phenomenon in the world or this thing about nature or, you know, when those things square yes. and click, uh, it, it makes it really, really strong. Like, no, I think this is true. You know, this is the truth. Which is a good feeling when it hits. It's really nice. Hey, so that's us. If you want to write like a seven-page thing, that'll be about as long as ours. Otherwise, <laughs> just a few sentences. We'll get your answers on the screen then. That's got us in a state of mind. So somehow, that discussion we just had is related to water and wine. Let's dig in now to what that could mean in the setup. Let's talk about water, first of all. Water is, you're going to not find that many people who are drastically opposed to water. It's a relatively popular <laughs> thing. This is a pure substance. This is a necessity of life. It's universal. Most, if not all, people have some water in them somewhere. This is a straightforward thing. We, we use it all the time. It's, just, it's hydration, sure, but it's also washing. It's refreshing. It's recreational. Water's everywhere and water's good. So what does that correspond to? And what corresponds, in a nutshell, is the role that something plays physically, the thing it corresponds to plays spiritually. So what is everywhere like that, doing those functions for the spirit like water is here? On the one hand, water can correspond to truth, and truth as it comes straight from the Lord. So this is Apocalypse Revealed 6.14. In quoting, we go into a quote to quote a quote. Yes. I know that. Isn't it right? You don't even, we're you're we're even, in deep. You're not even supposed to say quoting. This is something different. Revelation 14.2, And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters. This symbolizes the Lord speaking through the new heaven with divine truths. Right there, you've got a voice like the voice of many waters. Already, you know, there's something more than... Because a voice that just sounds like... Blah, 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 however a stream sounds, burbling. It's, it's nice, but it's not going to contain information. But here, this mm. is divine truths. So there is water being truth right out of the source. And then an apocalypse explained. Mm. Rain. Because look, at, think about all the different forms you can have of water. There we go. And, and um, going on to the next one. There right, we go. Like, right. You've got the voice like many waters, but also rain, water that comes down from heaven. Kind yes. Of what, you know, the, similar kind of meaning. They talk about there are cultures that have 
57 words for snow. Yes, right. We, we have a lot of words for water if you don't think about it. Rain, what's well rain? Well, it's just water that's coming out of the sky. <laughs> that's true. So there's got to be all these different correspondences there as well. Rain specifically represents the divine truth flowing in out of heaven from which all things of the church and heaven with a person are born, grow, and are brought forth. And that's self-evident that, that, that that's the role that rain plays here is everything, if you're going to go ahead and grow some food, unless you've got artificial irrigation in a state of nature, rain's got to come down. This is what makes things grow. So that's one side of water. Right, and it's easy to say, oh yeah, everything grows, and you know we know that about if you don't water plants and so on. But... Uh, that's a really big statement when you think of something that's required for all this spiritual growth. That's, that's a, a common yeah. denominator in all kinds of spiritual growth. Right, right, right. Interesting thought. Uh, there's another meaning that water gets because I think, okay, you have water that comes down from above. It's like this truth from the divine. But then isn't it interesting the way that water seeks its own level? So, so much so that if you want to know where the lowest point of land is you know after a rain you can oh right where the puddle is there because it always goes down and so water can also have this meaning of earthly type of truth of two different kinds that Swedenborg uh, distinguishes one is like scientific fact you know just basic sort of empirical evidence Uh, but the other is what he sometimes calls religious truth or um, like the kind of information that's contained in the Bible, information about spiritual concepts like the idea of God or the neighbor or compassion or stuff like that. So that, right. that's knowledge. It's on the outside, but it's in a form that we can absorb and use. Here's Apocalypse Revealed number 50, again explaining a passage from Revelation. Yeah. How do you like that? And his voice is the sound of many waters, the same, same verse we were just, or the same image we were just talking about. This symbolizes natural or earthly divine truth. Water symbolize truths and specifically natural or earthly truths, which are concepts from the word. And so what's earthly about those concepts from the word is that they're expressed in terms of like sheep and, you know, fruit and ground and soil and things like that that are are earthly. And then we're also going to look at Secrets of Heaven number 28. To find... Waters, this is an interesting kind of the way that he phrases this in yeah. a sentence here. To find water symbolizing religious and secular knowledge, those two types I was just talking about, and seas symbolizing a body of such knowledge. Oh, okay. That's what I like. See, that's what I'm talking about, squaring truths. Yeah. Like he's not only got an explanation for what the water is, but when you have a whole sea of it. Yep. Oh, that's like a whole body of knowledge. Right, okay, right. yeah, a body of such knowledge is quite common in the word. Like this is part of the language of scripture. And you have this Jesus going out on the Sea of Galilee, you have the Red Sea that they're crossing. Sure, it's a barrier that you'd have to deal with physically, but th- those stories start to take on a little more weight when you think this is, this is symbolic, this means something that they're, they're crossing here. And to me this is one of the funnest games is to start to see a, a little symbolism. It can be frustrating at first because you think, well I, I don't yeah. know what's going on in here. But then you see a certain thing and then you just wait walking on the water. Okay, what is that? Or how about, you know, and you start to, oh wait, you start to piece together an understanding. Wouldn't you want to have us at a party? Like we would bring the most fun games with us. Like, hey, let's let's do the symbolism of different parts in the Bible. Everyone, Happy New Year. Yeah, it's a great game. (laughs) It's fantastic. 
So we've been talking about water as a type of truth that allows life and growth to happen, and that's really, really basic. And I sort of think about it as that you can't, what, what job is there that you need absolutely no knowledge to perform? Right. You know, everything, there, there's some sort of, well, you need to have this already, or we'll train you in this. It always starts with knowledge. Yeah. It's so basic to any type of growth. But isn't it true? that generally speaking, living things can't survive on water alone. Like there's, it's great, but uh, long term, you need more. You need more than just water. As, as demonstrated in this picture, if you want to raise a plant, sure, you got to water it, but that you already got the assumption that there was a seed down in some substrate, some soil, and you got to put it by a window because the sunlight's got to come in. Yeah, if it's sitting in the dark, it's not going to happen. So you, there's other elements, and just stay with us. This may seem like we're, we're deviating a little bit from the water and wine thing. Where are we going, where are we going? But it's all necessary, or else we would not put you through it. So you have plants, right, who, who need these other elements, and then plants, as we go up the food chain, other organisms, animals, human beings, will eat those. So we're starting to turn, convert the water, because it is a part of it, into food. And Swedenborg ah, talks about the correspondence of food. How does water become food? Right. How does it's water a very important ingredient in food. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of water in vegetables and so on. But there's not only water in there. So the difference is it contains truth, but food is really a correspondence with goodness or love and action, which is absolutely necessary for spiritual life as well. You've got to have the truth to keep your system right. That fuel of actually going out and doing this stuff, then you're not going to make any progress. Swedenborg talks about this in Secrets of Heaven. He says, this is one instance of food. Grapes stand for charity and its fruits, which is like no pun intended right there. But so the fruits of charity being <laughs> good action, charity being the affection of service or of love. And so you have grapes standing for this is the good things you basically do. Oh, right? I think I see where you're going with this, because grapes play into our other big symbolism here, right? So if we're talking about grapes, where do we go from there? Yeah, like so the wine is made from the grapes, so if grapes are these good actions, loving actions toward other people, right. then wine is a kind of truth or faith that's the result of an active life. Like you had an active life, you were loving to people, and then you had a greater understanding. So it's a kind of truth that results from living a good life. Water kind of starts the process. You, you can't get a grape without water, but uh, once you've gone through this process, then it's a different kind of truth. And, and that's what kind of what we're getting to tonight, isn't it? Yeah, well, because you, so you have water as truth, right? If liquids in general are truth and solids that are edible are good, but wine is a liquid that came out of a solid. I mean, this is, this is <laughs> right. you, you get this thing you can drink out of something that you could eat. So, and the, th the things you eat mm. are doing this good. So you're starting to see that wine is playing a role that water can play, but it's got this food element to it. So when you put that truth into action, it becomes sweet. It becomes nourishing part mm. of a living faith. This mm. is from Apocalypse Explained. Wine means spiritual good, which is the goodness of caring for those around us as well as the goodness of faith. And we could dig into that, but we won't yes, right. here. The goodness of caring and the goodness of faith are in their essence truth. 
because the Lord puts that goodness into our intellectual part by means of the truth, which we call faith. Faith, and we're learning something, we're learning about, mm -hmm. in this case, it seems like a better way to live, a better way to organize your thoughts in life, a better way to prioritize what actions you're going to take. And from that knowledge, that spurs us to examine what is counterproductive that we're doing and choose something that we know will benefit someone. That's that faith going into action. Right. And so tr it's not like, yeah, there's a kind of truth, which is there are 241 cars an hour that go by this particular, you know, building or stoplight or yeah, something. I that, know that building. Yeah. But the, yeah, yeah, you know the one. Yeah. And uh, but there's also the kind of truth, which is like, this is the kind of being that you are. Here's what you need to do in order to feel differently than you do right now. You know, like that kind of yeah. sort of. I want to call it actionable, not in the legal sense, but, you know, sure. it's something you can do with. So if we're talking about wine symbolizing some of that, that actionable truth, some people might be right on board with that, but there's, wine is a complicated thing. There's a lot more complicated than water, I'd have to say. Oh, as we are saying in the beginning, everybody likes water, everybody needs water. A lot of people love wine and things like it. There's, it's surely a large part of cultures all around the world. And yeah. has been. However, it can be very destructive. It can... And in any kind of excess, it can harm your body. So it's not just this warm, snuggly thing like water for everyone. So what, why, how does that play into the correspondence? Basically, what I'm asking you is what's up with that? Yes, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> and what I'm thinking about is the fact that uh, if someone drinks some wine, if that's something that they can do, uh, then and it's interesting that wine is not for little children and it's, it's not generally part of the end of life or what you know what i mean like it's a certain span of your adult life and yeah. and some people uh can't drink it they're allergic to it or for other yeah. reasons they, they can't do it uh but if someone f can drink wine okay it will change your state and it might change it in a good way it might change it in a bad way for a couple three hours or something right yeah. like it's a it's a temporary sort of thing but the way Swedenborg describes the symbolism of wine in the Bible, it has to do with much more profound changes in the human mind and spirit over even thousands of years, yeah. which has nothing to do with an evening. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. And so uh, there's a story in the Bible about how God, the, the inner meaning is about the fact that God needed to adapt a system of helping people get to heaven after the human will had fallen into corruption, and it has something to do with this wine, you know, like a really major change of the, of the mind. Yeah, so it's almost like it sh should have been water for everyone. But as the human race went through complications, wine was like this new strategy that was developed to get people the, the kind of uh, connection that they needed. And this is a story, anything that's about the history of the human race mm. applies to us. We have that sort of written right. into us. So this is a story about how God can help us even when we're not in uh, the most receptive state. And you can tell that this is something that wasn't there from the beginning because that's, that's how it is in the Bible, right? Right. The very, very beginning, the creation story, it doesn't come in there. There's some water imagery and yeah. the water's above, water's beneath and, and so on, but no wine there yet. The wine doesn't come till Genesis 9, which might sound early in the Bible. It is, but it, in terms of what's been going on in the story, uh, quite a lot has happened between chapter 1 and chapter 9. 
when wine first shows up. And yeah. then there's this story about Noah. It's really weird because the whole world gets flooded with water. Yep. Hello. And then uh, right after that, Noah and his children survive in the ark. Very with famous. With all these animals and birds and everything. And then when they get out, Noah gets drunk. It's this weirdly random little, why would you embarrass Noah by throwing that story into the Bible, you know? Because, yeah, we got a problem here, which is, yeah, that they've got arguably one of the more famous stories in history in, yeah. of Noah and the ark. The world has just been overrun, as you're saying. The drama of the saving of human life, the saving of animal life. And then if you're a good author, just stop the story there. They just like they land and it's like Noah goes and plants a vineyard. And that's the first time that these grapes are popping up. So what, why is that in there? And what does it, what does it show? Because the flood was actually the initial fall of the human psyche. Right. That's when evil... That's the same thing we've been, just been talking about. That's right, right. Right. When evil really came into the situation. So now that, but now that you're understanding wine as this new way of connecting, it makes sense that right after the flood, we can't do what we did, but now we're going to try this new thing. So let's just go briefly into the okay. symbolism of that story. We'll just plow through, right? So, and this is something you can look at in depth when Swedenborg describes it. We've summarized it here for you. So in the Garden of Eden... People could get food straight from the trees. This food was pure and unprocessed by humans. The meaning there is that a faith based on love flowing directly from God through the heavenly human will, love-based faith. Right. So then after that, you have the banishment from the Garden of Eden, and then, not too long later, this great flood. These are all in those early chapters of Genesis, there, right? right? And the meaning is the gradual fall of the human will from a heavenly state to a self-centered, hellish state. When the human will fell, human faith became impure and prone to corruption. Flood has to do with knowledge and thinking and so on, and yeah. this is turned into this great flood. Okay, so after the flood, and yeah, now it just sings out why, that, why this detail would be there right after that. Right after the flood, Noah planted a vineyard and made wine. Ah, and the meaning is that since people couldn't open up to heaven directly through the will anymore, because the will got corrupted, yeah. that door sort of got broken, a new system had to be established. Impure fruit, quote-unquote, actions and faith coming from impure motivations, had to go through a purification process. He's got a vineyard, you know, rather than he's just picking wild grapes. Right? Right. There's more artifice in there. There's, There's that more separation. work involved. Yep. Right. Okay. Right. Then, with his sons, and this, maybe you've heard this story, maybe not. We did a whole show about it. Noah got drunk. And the meaning here is that since the system wasn't ideal, bad side effects could happen because of those corrupt motivations we were just talking about. People lost intuitive heavenly love where they could just tell what was what, yeah. that perception and everything. And they had to learn about it from doctrine. But doctrine could be misused and lead to unclear thinking and harm. And guess what that corresponds to? So with heavenly perception gone, people needed to first learn doctrine about love to the neighbor, then put it into practice and within that effort, God could gradually build a genuine faith in their hearts. Their will had to be gradually fermented or purified. And that's why it's very meaningful that you have this story of drunkenness that happens yeah. right after the 
after the flood, even though in the literal sense, as so many things do in the Bible, it seems totally random at the time you bump into it. So on a historical scale, we're talking about people going, the human race going from everybody could see as self-evident the truths that we now think of as religion, the existence of life after death and of God and of what was right and wrong. This was, everybody knew it both from a perception, but also there was open communication with heaven. You, there was spiritual experiences. There was all kinds of things that made it alive. But then when that died, suddenly you had to go and learn about God from religious texts. Yeah, and you could get things wrong. And that set the stage for what uh, we've seen throughout history where there are people who take religious ideas and misunderstand them willfully or unwillfully and cause all kinds of problems. And that, that is a symbolism of getting drunk off of these things that are meant to lead you back into that state. And for all of us individually, this is about the fall from, isn't it weird that we have to try to scour around and find videos and things that will talk to us about the nature of God? What, why this go, go yeah. between? Why not just, you can just tell when you're born. You, you know it in your heart or if something. If God is really everywhere. This is that, that wine state. It can work. You can get great things out of it. But it's not like when you could just go out and drink out of the stream and that's all that you need. And it reminds me of kind of sometimes, weren't there times in the Middle Ages where you can't trust the water. People didn't actually drink water much because you couldn't trust, the water was so polluted. Oh. And yeah. so a fermented beverage of some kind was actually purer. Right. You know, so compared to the golden age times where you just drink the pure water and it yep. was great, you know, but now you need something else that's fermented that will, that will substitute and get you there. So that said, we've got our water, we've got our wine, wh how they're related, how they're similar, how they're different. With that in mind, let's take a look at three concepts that expand on that and, and add to it in our section three seeds. Okay, so let's dig deeper now. I want to know a little bit more about this. Let's start with the symbolism of these early biblical stories and how it has to do with water and wine and what that tells us about our own hearts and minds. Uh, let's talk about Eden, the Garden of Eden. We heard a little bit about it, but it represents the state, this direct connection state, which Swedenborg mm. calls what is sometimes translated a celestial church or a heavenly church, while Noah represented a spiritual church or a learning-based church. This is Secrets More of Heaven. cognitively based. That's right right, right, right. The fact that Noah drank wine means that they wanted to explore religious questions can be seen from the symbolism of wine. A vineyard or a grapevine, as shown, is a spiritual religion or the people of a spiritual church. Grapes and clusters and bunches of grapes are its fruit, and they symbolize charity and the effects of charity. Okay? Wine, though, symbolizes the faith that grows out of charity mm. and everything that goes to make up faith. Mm. So a grape is the heavenly side of the church, while wine is the spiritual side. Okay. So there, again, there's, there's, there's not those same side effects with the food, with the grapes, with the fruit itself. Right. But the learning part, there's, not, there's much less danger. Sure, eventually you could get a stomachache, but you can pound a bunch of grapes, it's fine. The, the thing you have to be careful it's with... It's the concepts that can get is you... Is the wine. 
Yeah. Yeah. So it's like the love behind it, the celestial side. Love, love, love is great. But if you get your concepts wrong, that takes the love and bends it and changes it. And there you oh. go. Man, that's good. Amazing. The former, the heavenly part, belongs to the will, as noted so often before, while the latter, the spiritual part, belongs to the intellect. The fact that he drank some wine means that they wanted to explore religious questions and do so by the use of false reasoning can be seen from the circumstance that he became drunk, which is to say that they fell into error. And Swedenborg Intellectual error. Mm. canvassed the afterlife and found so many people completely closed in by this little world of dogma that they have. And you, we, you can meet people like this in, in real life. You can meet them on the Internet where they've got a particular religious concept yeah. that they absolutely don't mm. want to hear anything other than. Yeah. And it's just really can, religious stuff. And even, even people who are anti-religion in general think, think there's nothing out there that's, like, that's related to religion. It's all just a myth. Know the power of religion over minds. That it's, True. It's an extremely potent Boy. tool. Yeah. So that, that's this potential for it to make you drunk. Mm. Uh, it fell into error. The people of this church did not have the perception that the people of the earliest church had. They needed instead to learn what was good and true by studying religious teachings that had been gathered from the perceptions of the earliest church and saved up. That's so cool. Teachings that were their word. Again, that's cool. They're, they're, they're equivalent of what the Bible is. Like the word, these religious teachings in many areas were such that they could not be believed in the absence of perception because spiritual and heavenly matters rise infinitely beyond human comprehension. Mm. That was the reason for their use of skewed reasoning. Because once you can't see this stuff and it doesn't make sense, and you don't get exactly why something's there. And you think, maybe it's this or maybe just I, you're kind of guessing. And to the right or left a little bit. Because think about how that would be with medical stuff. If we couldn't study how, if you couldn't go back and continue to study the body and how and you just had a snapshot of people 100 years ago and what they thought about the body, and you said, well, I'll try to innovate on that by guessing, Think about how much problems you're going to solve. Yeah. Spiritual things are that tangible and that mm. complicated. That was the reason for the use of skewed reasoning. But people who refuse to believe a thing unless they grasp it with the senses are completely incapable of believing. Just as grapes symbolize charity, wine symbolizes the faith that develops out of charity since wine comes from grapes. I will bring my people Israel back from captivity and they will rebuild the ruined cities and settle down and plant vineyards and drink wine from them. Why, why include that? Yeah, interesting. He suddenly throws in a quote from Amos chapter 9 there at the end about rebuilding ruined cities. And hold on to that for a second. Mm. This is about a spiritual religion, which is said to plant vineyards and drink wine when it is the kind of religion whose faith is inspired by charity. So you can get Very there. Very interesting. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, and so the Amos quote sort of point. Now, Amos is at these, one of the minor prophets at the end of the Old Testament. Yeah. And so he's talking about a prediction of a future time. And long after the flood, long after the you know, Noah story and all that. And the Amos quote has in there the idea that God uses this new way to be with people and to help them. Like, I'll help them rebuild the cities. Yeah. And they'll plant vineyards and they'll drink wine from it. Like, they'll start to get what they're supposed to get the fermentation, the purification that's yeah. supposed to happen out of this truth, spiritual truth. Yeah. So then, uh, how does that, how do we go from there to our, our next seed here? 
Right. Well, th this is the current way, it's still operative today, that the Lord can take an inherited um, human will, which we, sorry, it just does seem to be the case that we're born in this world in a kind of self-centered state. I'm not saying that you don't have loving states. You're talking about me personally? But... Uh, <laughs> I was talking about myself, oh, okay. actually. No. But that you, you, you start out basically not sure that other people really exist, you know, and then bit by bit you learn, oh, this is yeah. just as painful for you as it is it's, for me. When, the, you know. it, when you are um, when you're 13 or 14, I, you, don't, you don't have any comprehension of the impact of your actions on people. It's just not, it doesn't even mean you're evil. It just means you just, no. it's not on your radar. You're, you're thinking about, callous how, do feel, yeah. how do I feel? How do I feel? How do I feel? No offense to myself when I was that That's age. right. And God is able through this kind of fermentation to gradually replace that with a heavenly love and faith. And he talks about that in Secrets of Heaven 7906. Be aware, this is an interesting statement, that the truth in us can never be purified of falsity without fermentation. So you come in with ideas, some of which are accurate, some of which are crazy stuff you just you know, misunderstood in childhood yeah. or whatever, so to speak. That is without a fight put up by falsity against truth and by truth against false. Oh, this puts a different spin on this purification that this is actually a battle going on yeah. between falsity and truth and truth fighting falsity. And I will say, before I was just dumping on my 13, 14 year old self, there's plenty of, when I say that, I'm thinking back on particular things I did that, that right now I was just, don't, why would you ever do that? But there's plenty of times when I was doing kind things and thinking kind things, yeah. there really is this truth and falsity, right. and they go to war. That's right, that's right. And after the fight is finished, and that takes a little while, and truth has conquered, nice outcome, then falsity drops away like the waste products of fermentation, and truth stands purified like wine, which clarifies upon fermentation, the dregs settling to the bottom. Another reason why wine corresponds like it does is the process by which it's made. That's it's, right. We did a whole show called Spiritual Fermentation. Mm. Something corresponds because of how it is from every angle, where it comes from, what it does, what its characteristics are like. So this, the fact that the fermentation process plays out like the struggle of truth and falsity is another reason why wine corresponds. And, and what's, what's wine-like gets more and more pure and this, these other impurities just naturally settle out to the bottom. The main occasion for this fermentation or fight is when our state changes, when our actions start to be motivated not by faith and truth as they previously were, but by neighborly love and goodness. So this is a, this is sort of this is pretty late down the pike kind of thing that you used to be made motivated by faith and truth because you learned those things, you're trying to be a good person. Oh, now love is starting to kick in and goodness in you. And that, that's made a change. That's like that self-evident we were talking about before. When yes. it becomes real, it's no longer you're feeling like this is a system that I'm being told to accept. And I guess right. I accept that I admire some parts of it. And so I will put myself on hold that for a minute and act sense through to this. Me, but yeah. But when it gets down to it's the same, we all have things that we just from the core of who we are believe are right and worth doing and other things we believe are wrong and worth stopping. As these religious concepts make our way that more and more into our heart, it, we start to be able to hit it from the same reflex. It's not we're being told, it's we're, we're telling now. And it's, yes, it's become a new will, like you're yeah. entering that more heavenly state. Yeah. 
It's when we act out of neighborly kindness that our state has been purified because we then act on our will, whereas before we acted only on our understanding. An example that occurred to me here is that when, when you start out, maybe your parents tell you, you know, you should write a note to someone after they did something nice for you, gave you a gift or something like that, and you think, okay, what sort of note should I get? And, you, you know, yeah. you're not feeling it yet. And then later on, you may feel like, I'm so grateful. My heart is just longing, to, I'm bursting to, you know, share this. Those oh, are those two different states. That's a great example. Mm. That in doing it out of duty, it's not that you're, you don't care about the person. Right. But you, and you know this is the right thing to do, so I'll do it. Versus you're really, like, thinking about, you're, you're excited about the impact this will have a on positive them. positive impact. That's right. That's the next step. You want to give them something back for what they've given yeah. you. Spiritual battles or trials are fermentations in a spiritual sense because during them, falsity seeks to unite with truth. Wow, falsity is trying to worm its way right in there. That's but weird. truth spurns falsity and eventually sends it down. Where do you suppose it sends it? Oh, to the bottom, which means that the dregs are removed. That's fascinating that falsity says, let's, let's get mixed in with truth because if, if they, it can tell... Oh, no, the system is moving towards love. Truth is guiding towards love. Well, I'm not going to be able to take truth head on right now because this person has some commitment to it. But let me complicate it. Let me muddle the picture. Let me deceive you just, just enough that you won't get there. That's very, very sneaky. Sneaky and little yeast. So, so often, I, just as a meta comment, standing back for a second, uh, Swedenborg's teachings are like you go into what you think is a simple shed at the end of the <laughs> yard or something. Yeah. And it turns out to be like an 11-story building. There's yeah. so much depth in, in what he says about everything. It's yeah. just kind of mind-boggling. That must mean we're on or something. Okay, go ahead. And uh, I'm also thinking about another uh, situation involving wine, and particularly involving water to wine, the miracle you mentioned earlier in the show. Where it's in st still in songs, you know, would you choose water over wine? Okay, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> And isn't it interesting in all of this that the water comes first and the wine is second? You know, that, like that's the idea, yeah. that the water's kind of uh, before or something more universal, and then the wine is something else that happens. Yep. And um, so in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 2, yeah, there's something this for people called who the beginning of signs that Jesus does, where he goes to a wedding at Cana. Looks like he's just one of the guests there and so on. And they run out of, there's a, like a strategic, a, a problem, which is that they run out of wine at this wedding reception. It's kind of a disaster. And so Jesus' mother is there, and he's, she talks to Jesus, tries to get him to do something about it, and he seems resistant and so on. Uh, but then there were these six tall pots that hold 20 or 30 gallons each. I mean, they're huge. This was for the ritual purification that was part of the Jewish, uh, one of those 613 commandments about, you know, the foot washing and so on. So these pots, but they were empty at the time. And so Jesus had people fill those up all the way to the brim, absolutely full. You know, so 120 to 180 gallons of water. And then he said, take some to the master of the feast. And they took some to him. And he said, wow. He didn't know where it had come from, but he said to the person running the feast, most people save the bad wine for, like start them off when their taste buds are yeah. working. Save the bad wine for later when they're a little, you know, getting into it too much, and but you've saved the best wine for last. And it really struck me thinking about this, that 
that was like six to nine hundred bottles of wine. Like th there was a tremendous amount of wine that, that Jesus created there. Which is only awe-inspiring if you think about it in terms of correspondences. If you're just looking at it as a literal miracle, I as a member of the human race have some issues with it. Because if you're Jesus Christ, you're, if you're God coming down and you're going to come and help humanity, I get it when you're healing sick people, that's great. Sure. If you're going to spend some that's of your great. time and energy just hooking up the people that had this wedding with wine. Making somebody's party so they don't have to go out and buy some more. And, but, and, and like, what, what's that, what kind of social interactions is that going to lead to? Is that really going to make life better for all these people? Why did you do that? It's right. just weird. And it's why was that the first one? You know, like. It's famous, but it's weird. But once you know that all divine miracles have to portray states of or have to do with states in the human heart and mind, which we call the church, and once you know that this is saying, look, mm. I am... The meaning of this is that Jesus came, that is the whole point of the Jesus Christ thing, which is Jesus came to turn basic religious information, which was out there, into a life that people could live with those acts of goodwill and charity. Which didn't seem to be happening to the same degree, like he wanted to help that forward. And when people started to learn that that religion was about doing those good things, he could then turn that into genuine faith. So this water into wine was him saying, okay, you've got the knowledge I'm going to turn this into that when people have the knowledge, the love comes out. And this is talked about more in Apocalypse Explained. When we live according to spiritual truth, it becomes goodness. That's the difference. Truth is the One knowledge of how when you do it, that's goodness. If you ever wanted to unpack a piece of Swedenborg's never-ending truth-goodness <laughs> duality. So a new will is formed. A new heart in us is formed via the truth in that part of us. And then anything that comes from the will is called goodness. Mm. If it, once the will is turned in the right direction, what we're doing is goodness. This will is the same thing as conscience. Conscience, so what's conscience, is the cognizance of truth. Because it is shaped by truth of all kinds that come from the church's teachings and the word's literal meaning. This is my decision-making machine, mm. and it is shaped by these concepts that have love for the human race in them. Mm. Water turned into wine in Cana of Galilee means something similar. So that's uh, us turning into, for going from being somebody who can be pointed in the direction of any knowledge, to I only drink this stuff that has love in mm. it. So when the Lord turned water into wine, it means that He turned the exterior truth of the church into deeper truth, uncovering the interior things that lay hidden within the exterior. And that some of that is visible in the literal sense of the Bible. Doesn't Jesus say, you've heard it was said, blah, 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 yeah, but, but I'm I saying say to you, love and love. Right. And that Jesus did take you know, a a religious system there, which there was some love, but a lot of it was just uh, about jumping through hoops and things. It's pretty specific, yeah. And made it into this, what is still pretty radical doctrine of love your enemies and yeah. all these sorts of things. That is, Jesus was taking water and turning it into wine. That's what I'm talking about. The six stone water pots supplied for Jewish ritual washing represent all six, all, the exterior truth, which contained the inner truth in the word. So I'm going to take all your Six. stuff. Hey, come yeah. on. This is stuff we didn't even realize till just now. This is good. So all this stuff, all that religious stuff you've got that's water, I'm going to turn this into to food. Six means and all. And that's why he didn't just change one or enough for the feast. No, it's yeah. got to be all six because it's corresponding to yeah. the entire system, all that truth. It's not that he wants half of it turned into love or a sixth of it. There's no point to it. He wants the whole thing turned into compassion. And love. Six means all and is used in the context of truth. 
Stone means truth, right? There's stone pots. And Jewish ritual washing means purification from wrongdoing. Yeah. And we become the church to the degree that we are purified. Yeah. So it was very meaningful that it was these particular, it just wasn't that they were handy there and that's what he used. So Jesus was showing in this miracle to those who had ears to hear kind of thing, that how he reaches out to all of us in a fallen human state and can miraculously transform us into spiritual and heavenly people. He can take the water in our minds and turn it into this kind of transformation. So all these stories about wine have to do with with pretty profound transformation and and lasting change, not just a pleasant evening, but but, uh, lasting change. Super awesome. Let's take a second, let that sink in now in our meditation. There are times when we're setting up the correspondences meditation, when it's like, oh, what are we going to show? What are we going to show? And it's like, this is obvious. There's water and there's wine, and we're going to be looking at these. But this is the other layer to correspondence, is that all these concepts we've been talking about, this amazing transformation of good, of truth into goodness, and then back into a living kind of faith and truth, you can get a picture of those in seeing these elements, water and wine. And so we've been hearing about them, we've been thinking about them, but this is going to hit us in a different way. So uh, we're not going to tell you what this experience is going to be for you. That's between you and the Lord. And we've got the concepts swimming around. So just look at this, open yourself up a bit, and see if it, maybe it's just a feeling, maybe it's another insight. What's it do for you to be thinking about how the Lord uses true ideas to purify our motivations? and lead us to more genuine love and goodness. These two are about the process. It's like, how can we improve your ideas? Why? For the sake of the love that we do. So here we go. process guiding like to look at that and this stuff is guiding us through that's cool man i like it Mm. hopefully uh, it struck you all as well and Mm. just know you can do that with our video but anytime you see water or wine it's out there right this stuff and it's not just limited to liquids everything in existence is if we understand it right telling us about the other parts of existence that we can't see, or that's the theory anyway. So with all that, with everything, the, the talking, the meditating, all that, 
if you had to summarize what we did today, what, what is the takeaway? Mm. Well, I have a couple of thoughts. One is just uh, simply put, I'm thinking that the, the reason to answer the original question has to do with what's the difference between water and wine because they both right. mean truth. Right. You might say that truth comes in different potencies, maybe you'd say, or it's like some things are like a stone and something else is like a seed and they may look alike but they do different things. You right, know, one right. is more sort of active than the other. Uh, there's something about that cleansing of water as opposed to the transformative effect of the wine. Sure. Y you know, it, it's just interesting that truth has these two different things depending on the extent to which you're putting the love to work in your life. And uh, can I tell you an analogy that's occurred to me uh, thinking about this is that I'm thinking about, let's say, a, a nurse, a nurse who goes through uh, school and obviously you start with knowledge. You've got to start with the water. You know, there's a lot of learning and practice and oh, how does this work and how many cc's of this and, you know, just drug complications, all, all the stuff. You learn all that stuff. And so I think coming out of school you have all, all that, that book knowledge and you're starting to learn some practical knowledge and all that kind of stuff. Then you think about somebody who's been doing it for 30 or 40 years and the wine that the, that's like the water to me, going, th going through school. The wine is like when you've really learned, oh, I can see this person's anxious. It'll calm yeah. them down if I say this. Right. They're worried about the test. Yeah. I'll say this, you know. Right, right, right. Transformation from love and compassion of really learning how to serve, not, not just the body, but every level of the person. And that wine just takes time, right? Like it's, you know, that yeah. doesn't happen quickly to get that sort of fermentation where it's really, really transformed. Like what, what year is this person? Oh, that's a good year. Yes, right. <laughs> awesome. Okay, now let's go. That's a great note to end the civil part of our <laughs> show on. Let's go into the wild west of the elevator pitch. Okay. This, I said this was coming up. We, every week we mean to get around to canceling this segment, but we never <laughs> do it. So now we've got to do it. forgetting the graphics in there. We'll see, yeah, we'll, we'll see what's the worst that could happen. So the game is we just stepped onto an elevator and we're going to go. Oh, do you want to go first? Uh, sure. Okay. I hadn't thought about it. Okay. Yeah. First is good. Okay, so, so we both stepped onto an elevator. We're simulating a situation in which I'm saying, hey, aren't you Dr. Jonathan Rose from that show nobody watches? <laughs> well, <laughs> can you tell me something about, you've got 60 seconds to, if these concepts are really something that's like deep in your heart and matter to you, explain to me what the thing, whatever it, that's about to pop up, what is it and why does it matter? You only have 60 seconds because I'm going to get off, but you have a chance to get me excited and, and hooked mm. and, and, and bring in me into this world that can really <coughs> help me. So the topic for Dr. Jonathan Rose will be... From this is from Warhawk. Why have hope? Ooh. Okay. You ready? Let's we'll give him a, uh, a countdown here. Okay. Okay. It's an interesting thing. They, they say in, in science that your body is sort of overhearing your inner thought process and so on. That uh, our state of mind is actually sending messages to our body all the time. Uh, about should I bother 
or is it hopeless and I'm defeated? And you can, you can survive that. You, you go back and forth between those different states. But something that's so important about hope is that even when your situation is really bad, like some of what we talked about in the show tonight, there are difficult things that you need to get through, transformations and so on. Some of that's going to be painful. But hope can carry you through that and keep sending that message to your body that, no, this is good. We're going to go through this. It, it's, it's a kind of faith in a way, isn't it? Because it looks into the future and says, I think we can do this. And I think things will be better in the future than they are now. Yes. Okay. You know what? I'm doing it. I'm going to have that hope. Okay. So our, so like you're saying, like the, we do that physically, the brain is sending to the body. Here's the situation we're in. The spirit can be sending that here. That <coughs> from that perspective, up above the clouds, we can see, now this, you're going to be fine. Like it's definitely worth going. Keep on going. Keep going. Keep going. Because you can feel like I'm destitute of potential. Because what do I have going for me? But little do we know, like there's a lot going for you. That's, That's great. Right. I love it. I love it. Okay, let's do that one more time, right? You know, because we're, we're as wow, I say, we went back down to the, that was a yeah. quick. <laughs> yeah, That's right. I we, felt that. Somebody in my cut stomach. the cable, but we're fine. And so now you, you stepped on and asked me something, and I, I okay. want to have a chance to talk about it. So what's Aren't my you the host of that show? interconnectedness? Okay, let's do a three, two, one. All right. All right. You think you know interconnectedness? You don't know interconnectedness. Okay, th there is a system that is designed for all of us to enter into greater and greater joy eternally by growing closer and closer together. There, and interconnectedness isn't interconnectedness if we all become the same thing. Because you wouldn't say that's interconnected, that's just a thing. Mm. Interconnected is when there's a bunch of parts that fit seamlessly together. That's what the human race is destined for. The kind of interconnectedness you see in everywhere and everything that's good. The human body, interconnected. Natural ecosystems, interconnected. Mm. And the, the forces that run the universe, interconnected. Everything's working with everything. So it is with us. But human beings get so interconnected that what we think of as interconnected now ain't nothing. The way that your good thoughts and feelings interconnected with heaven, those are coming to you from communities of people who love that and treasure that and work on that and act on that. You actually can be the good feelings in somebody else's heart as we go on. Your dreams can come from heaven. You can provide a use and service to all of heaven and communicate with interconnectedness. Good. <laughs> the word is too long. It's it takes good. half of my time to say <laughs> interconnectedness. We'll oh, have to put a, a restriction on only three syllables <laughs> or something. No, that was really great. I really like that, that sense of how and the potential because there's more and more potential for, for interconnectedness to happen. Yeah. And I loved all those examples that you had. The potential. That the, and that ties into the one you were talking about. Like, what's the potential? Look at me. I'm just, I got nothing going for me. Right. But, but there is a destiny for you in this interconnectedness, that there's happiness beyond the person who seems to have the most going on in this world. Of anybody you can picture, they're not as happy as we're all going to be in this interconnected yeah, thing. Yeah, so. that's right. Thanks, everybody, for putting those out. We really mm. like them. Now we are going to do our ice melter. We're going to take your responses to the initial question. Do you remember that? You remember that way back then in that other lifetime that we had? And put them on screen. First, before we get there, you may be wondering, how do these guys do keep this going? How do they pay for all this? Let's, you guys help us. We're a not-for-profit, so your support is what allows this oh, to I happen. No, I'm, I'm st I, I ran out of money, so now okay. you all have to help out. Here's a little bit on how you can do that. We want the ideas and insights we cover to be available for free to anyone, anytime they need them. 
As a nonprofit, we depend on donor support to continue to create high quality programming. Any gift you give joins you to the central network of people in the world who make our work possible. You can deepen the significance of your gift by making it in memory or honor of someone special in your life. This could be done as a one-time gift, recurring monthly, or run as a special fundraiser for your circle of friends and family. Go to otle.causevox.com and follow the prompts to make a gift in whatever way is most meaningful for you. Your support helps the ideas in our content reach and nourish thousands of people every day around the globe. We couldn't do it without you. Give if you can, receive if you need. If we cycle through in this way, in the end, everybody wins. What do the people say? What is on your mind? What was our question? I don't even remember what the question was. Let's pull it up on the screen right now. Ah. Oh, yeah. What has helped to make your faith deeper and more real? <laughs> oh, because that's the wine. I mean, that, that is, or, or ah. the, the water. It's the that's concepts. The water to yeah. The, the, okay, so yeah, no, that will be the water. It's almost like somebody thinks about this stuff ahead of time. That's the, the what, what has been the water for you that allowed your faith to be made real and turn into that lived sort of wine? Mm. What's it for all of you? This is what we want to know. Let's uh, take a look at what people had to say. Experience has made my faith reality. Yes, nice. Easy. Tragedy. Being shaken out of complacency and forced to see how lifeless and hopeless things are without something more. Ergo, God. Mm. The grace of God has made my faith more real. The things I've seen, prayers answered, healing in myself and others. Learning and discernment for truth. The journey that comes with searching Him out. It has shown me so much. Nice, interesting range there. A yeah. long life of many challenges, slowly breaking down my ego. That's well put. Yeah. I pray to God what I want to achieve to serve others better, and I accept God's blessing and share with others. Then all that I want magically shows up in my life. It may take time, but it will show up. Swedenborg and off the left eye for sure. That's hey. nice. Yay. When I started reading Swedenborg, he made the Bible make sense to me. You know the truth when you hear it. That's that perception. When you demonstrate faith in every aspect in your life, belief becomes deeper and richer. The connection to God amplifies itself. That's the variety and spectrum you're talking about. The mm. People can, you know, there's all kinds of different drinks people answers. take. Yeah, certain events that I've experienced in my life's journey has made my faith deeper and more real. So mm. life, right? My husband becoming very ill and his death made my faith deepen. When the reality hit, my faith became real. Look at that. Mm. I lost a lot of faith when my husband died. In truth, my faith system was reshaped. I'm still trying to figure things out, to be honest. I just keep living and learning. Mm. A very evidential experience of an after-death communication. Mm, there you go. My faith got stronger when my prayers got answered. Also, when I read the Bible and see the truth in the verses. And think about this, there's water and everything. You have people saying hard things, good things, people interpreting, but, but right. yet you're able to pull stuff out of all the that. Things that make you lose your faith or give you faith. Yep. My experience, expansion, and divine guidance have helped make my faith deeper and more real. What gave me more faith was realization that as I couldn't get help from my fellow man, spirit came to the fore. I, I know what that's talking about. Right. Cool. Learning about a concept, but then struggling or suffering through that idea in real life. Isn't that just oh, like, that's good. I'm going to teach you how to shoot a shot in basketball until you really get out there and struggle oh, with yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And just understanding how God's wisdom is so perfect, 
gives me such a strong faith, and I know it all. Awesome. Hey, mm. we got more. I thought that for sure that was the last yeah, one. You guys are up. really coming through in the clutch here. Now being retired, my husband and I have time to read Swedenborg at breakfast and discuss it. This has definitely deepened my faith and made it into a more living faith for me. Nice. Because it's already there. Ideas are already there on the page. But you've got to bring it in, talk to somebody, you know, turn it over and see, is this real or what? That It's not Reflect just, on it's it, there yeah. on the page, believe it or, or, or else, right? Mm. Grief. Yeah, there's a Amazing. lot in that word yeah. right there. <laughs> yeah. My faith deepened when I realized my relationship with the divine was intimate and personal and independent of dictated dogma or theology by earthly authorities telling me what it is. That's, I, that's I, avoiding I, that drunkenness, right? I really like right? that answer. That's yeah, great. that's, that's great. great. Everyone, oh. we, w we thought you were going to have terrible answers, but you had great answers. <laughs> Thanks so much for being willing to participate with that. One last participation we'll ask you for like and subscribe if you haven't already. Again, that matters to us algorithmically here. And to hold up our end of the bargain, we're going to keep giving you as much programming and as good of programming as we possibly can. Coming up this week, we have our show News from Heaven, and we have two episodes of that. Oh, it's coming out. We're really enjoying making those. On Thursday, we have How to Get Your Body and Mind Turned Toward Heaven. Your body? Yeah, which is like, oh, turn your mind towards heaven. But I couldn't believe what Swedenborg was saying about that. So check that out. Interesting. Saturday, we have societies of spirits operate in our mental imagery. Mm. Of course they do. Yes, naturally. <laughs> Short clips. This is the poll you guys gave. We, we wanted to know what are the different heavens like and what God slash Jesus is. So that'll be Wednesday for the different heavens, Friday for what God Jesus is. Next Monday, we are going to do our panel Q&A show good question. So we will be doing nothing but talking to you about what's on your mind because that's, that's what we want to do. That's what this show was in, in a bit of, that, that was the inst instigation for this show. Right. Why wouldn't you want to talk things like that over? We're trying to make the faith real, right? Right. The following Monday, mm. the next entry in our Swedenborg in Life series, Will Life Be Different When You Die? Mm. Is That's a great series. i got to say that season is so great. It's been a lot of fun to make, and it's cool because it's sure it's about the afterlife experience and what Swedenborg went That's through, right. what many people have had their own experiences and then come back, go through. But it's something that is applicable to us right now because the spirit, this is talking about what, what do we keep and what do we let go of, what matters to invest in now. Uh. You've got to know, and, and right. you, you, what, why, why wouldn't you want to have a little help in prioritizing when life is so wide open all the time. That's coming up two Mondays from now. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Thanks, Dr. Jonathan Rose. That was great fun, Curtis. Pleasure, as always. All of you, hope that you have a great day, and we'll hope to hopefully see you in some video somewhere very soon. Swedenborg and Life Live is Curtis Childs, host and showrunner, with co-host Jonathan Rose. Live stream tech and graphics by Stuart Farmer and Matthew Childs. Show writing and chat moderation by Karin Childs and Chelsea Odner.